Welcome to the Layer by Layer podcast. Podcast. <laughs> podcast, podcast? Podcast, podcast. Yes, this is a show about cubing. We have a subreddit. Uh, oh, also, this I we were just going over this, how we need to say the recording date. That's the thing we do now. This is recorded Friday, September 28th, 2018, though you probably will hear it a good amount later than that, just because we like just released our other episode. I feel like we just talked to each other. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to catch up on the uh, long gap we had previously. Yeah. We have a subreddit, layer by layer. You can give us feedback there. That's cool. We love feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And we like discussing with you as, uh, as time allows. So please, yes. uh, we like to hear from you. I believe we'll actually be getting to some topics from our feedback, maybe, if we would do what I want to talk about. Um, hey, man, I, I'm, I'm open to whatever. I mean, also, if we manage to get through follow-up, which always is a bit of a hurdle. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> So how's it going, Andrew? Well, Kit, you know that whole thing where you like stay up all night and like trying to get your sleep schedule to work? Oh, we yeah, yeah. About last time? Yeah, it's a great idea. And by a great idea, I mean an awful <laughs> idea. So yesterday when I woke up in the morning, I didn't even go to class because I woke up and I had like a really bad headache. It wasn't like a migraine because I've had those and it wasn't one of those, but it was a bad headache. And this has happened to me once before. I just wake up with a bad headache. And it's the sort of thing where it's like, I don't know how I know this, but I feel like it's from sleeping too much. Like I woke up earlier and I like looked at the clock and I was like, I should just go back to sleep. But then I did. And it feels like my body was punishing me for that. I don't think that's actually what happened, but that's what it feels like. So eventually I got up and like, you know, kind of got up and did stuff and that helped a little bit. But it like the headache was still there. So I wanted to go back to sleep and rest more. And I like fought it for a little bit. But eventually I did like try to go back to sleep and I fell back asleep. But I stayed asleep for, like, most of the day. Mm -hmm. So then I got up, and I was feeling mostly better. Over the time I was up after that, the headache went away. But, you know, by the time I'm supposed to go to sleep, I don't feel tired at all because I slept for, like, 15 hours or something, or 16 <laughs> hours. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I don't feel like it was my fault because, like, I was sick in the morning. Although it was, like, a passing thing. Maybe it was something I ate or something, but... I really have no idea what caused it, but I woke up, I wasn't feeling well, so I don't feel like it's my fault that I messed up my sleep schedule. It, it sounds like food poisoning or something of that nature. Yeah, I don't know, it was weird. But anyway, so I wasn't tired when I was supposed to go to sleep, mm -hmm. so, so I didn't. I was like, maybe this thing that Kit keeps doing actually works to some extent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last time this happened to me where I like ended up sleeping way too long and then just wasn't tired... I ended up accidentally staying up the whole night. Like, I spent the entire night trying to get to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was going to happen this time, so I just decided not to fight it. So I, would like, stayed up doing somewhat productive stuff, which mm -hmm. was better. Um, so now I'm a little bit tired, but at le I, I prefer being tired because then I can actually fall asleep when I want to. Oh, yeah, totally. So, yeah, I pulled a U. Um, <laughs> but, long story short. And did it, did, but did it, do you feel like it worked? Was it worthwhile or? Well, I don't know yet because I'm still in the middle of it. I'll oh, okay. let you know like tomorrow <laughs> if I get my sleep schedule working. <laughs> All right. Sounds like an interesting experiment. We'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. How are you doing? Well, okay. My life is pretty boring now. School started trying to deal with people getting into my classes because, ugh. Our system is awful. But instead of me talking about my boring life, I'd like to talk about Walker's life. Um, okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you know, but he's uh, going to China Championships, which is uh, in like a few days in the middle of the week. Just strange for a major championship. But uh, he's, uh, he's first going to competition in Korea this weekend. And he flew out a couple days ago. Problem was that uh, his flight left at 7. Uh, and mm -hmm. he woke up at 7.15 or something like that. <laughs> And, like, he, I remember him booking this flight. Like, we were both on Discord together when it happened. He booked literally the most inconvenient way to get to Korea as possibly, humanly possible. And legitimately, uh, I think it took, like, 20-plus hours of travel time to get there to, at the end. Jeez. Yeah, and it was, I don't know, I, yeah, it, it saved him a bunch of money, but, man, was it a bad uh, itinerary. <laughs> and, yeah, so he starts the day uh, waking up after his flight departed because of the classic AM, PM mishap. Was it, like he I mean, he was apparently doing all these like phone call like tag things to try to figure out what he can do. Uh, he booked it through Priceline, I think, and uh, he just got an email when he woke up saying his itinerary was canceled. Okay. 
<laughs> but uh, he thankfully his first leg had a five hour layover in Seattle, so it wasn't totally out of the question that he could get to Seattle somehow and make his next leg. He first tries to call all these people, like so they call Priceline and uh, they say, "Oh, you're gonna need to call Alaska Airlines." Uh, to figure this out. So he calls Alaska and he's like, oh no, you're going to need to call the Chinese airline Hainan Airlines to figure this out. <laughs> so he calls it Hainan Airlines and he's like, oh, you're going to need to call Priceline to figure this out. <laughs> so he got the full run around and was like, okay, screw it. I just need to get to the airport and we'll figure this out. He books a ticket, a one-way ticket to Seattle on the hope that he can somehow get on the flight that he got booked for, or that he booked originally. Yeah. And it's really tight. Uh, the problem is, too, is that he's checking a bag. So he has to go through security with a bag on this new flight that he literally booked, like, minutes before getting on the flight. He has to get his bag through there, get off the plane, go out of security, get his bag, check it in on his new itinerary, go through security again, and then get on the flight. It's a lot of steps. Yeah, and so you know how uh, when you go, like, when you're checking a bag, you can't, there's no, like, there's a cutoff point because it has to go through security before it can make it onto the plane. Uh, and if you don't get it to, like, the check-in counter in time, they can't guarantee it'll make your flight. Yeah, so that happened. <laughs> he got there <laughs> after that that uh, that check-in point. Uh, but apparently the Hainan Airlines people in Seattle were, like, super nice to him. They, like, basically cut him through security to get him through immediately, um, had someone guiding him all the way to his gate. Uh, but uh, in Seattle's airport, of course, there's, like, this uh, train you have to take to get between the north and south, I think, terminal, they call them. The Heinen Airlines station was like, okay, I'm pretty sure you can run faster than me, so I'm just going to tell you where it is, and you can just dart there. Uh, and he made it uh, two minutes before the they stopped letting people onto the plane. That's that's a rare thing to yeah. get that yeah, I mean, priority treatment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for a day that started as crap as it was, he basically had everything possible go right and still somehow made it, hit, made it to Korea. Wow. And his bag made it on the plane, even though it came late. So he, because the other issue is too, is uh, he um, originally just was going to go to China Championships, but then he saw that there was a Korea comp the weekend before. So he booked a Korea, like flight to Korea from uh, China that was separate of his China flights. If his bag didn't make it, he might've had to miss that flight because he would have to wait for the next flight to come in to uh, Beijing, I believe, and then get his bag and then somehow get to Korea. Just about everything possible went right for this guy, despite the good old AMPM mishap to start the day. <laughs> but uh, he's going to be competing in China championships this weekend against all odds. Uh, so, so the Korea comp was last weekend? Oh, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's weird because China Championship, I think, is the 2nd to the 4th of October, which is like Monday to Wednesday or Tuesday to oh, Thursday okay. or something. Yeah. yeah, Tuesday to Thursday, I think it is. Uh, the Korea comp is tomorrow slash today because they're like 16 hours ahead of us or something stupid yeah. like that. <laughs> That's about to happen momentarily. Uh, but then China Championships is shortly after that. So that's way more interesting than my life, which is pretty boring <laughs> right now. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just doing like the whole, you know, start of school stuff? Yeah, the first week as an instructor is really rough, especially at my school. So you, like if you're not familiar with college classes, they usually have like a waiting list, just like cube competitions have a waiting list to get in. <laughs> Once classes start, though... Um, if you have a waiting list, they don't, the electronic system just basically stops working so that basically they say, so instructors have the convenience of having full control over what happens at that point. I don't want full control. Yeah. Just do it for me, please. <laughs> like, do you have like the thing where the people on the wait list, like just come to class anyway? Cause they're like, I mean, I don't want to miss the first days of instruction. If yeah. And in. And yeah, you, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of people who don't even sign up for the wait list and just kind of are like YOLO looking for class times and show up and are <laughs> like, hey man, uh, you got any open spots? And I'm like, how about you look around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my classes, uh, I have the unfortunate fate of having a flawless rate my professors page, hmm. um, which unfortunate. <laughs> it's really unfortunate because uh, my classes are always in high demand, which means First week of classes for me end up being an extra, like, five hours of work mm, just dealing yeah. with people that are trying to get into my class. Yeah, things are tough when you're so popular and so good at what you do. Oops. Yeah, I need to, <laughs> I need to, I need to like, intentionally teach one class just utter shit so that I get some bad ratings from it. And then when people see my page, they're like, oh, there's some good ones, but ooh, man, this, this is scaring me off. Maybe I won't do this. 
Yeah. Like, it just, you just need enough to get people apprehensive. It's like, like what, what happened that one time? Yeah. <laughs> <Dude. laughs> yeah, but so, the, uh, basically, um, the other stupid thing about PSU is we still are in the Stone Age for registration. You can do, on, you do online registration, but as soon as classes start, the electronic system is so bad it make like it's literally more convenient for people to just do paper forms to get overrides into classes. Mm. Like why? Why are we using paper for this? Yeah. <laughs> Most yeah, cuz the problem is that um there are ways that you can do electronic overrides, but the instructor has to set those. Like they can't be done by somebody else. I have to do it. And then the student has to be smart enough to use a computer correctly to get the override to work. <laughs> so if I go the paper route, like, whatever, it's just kind of hard for me to keep track of that stuff. But if I go the electronic route, like, I have to deal with people like, hey, I've been waiting to get into your class. Like, what's going on with this override? It's like, look, I can't sign you up for my own course, okay? <laughs> I gave you the override. You gotta do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm... Yeah, I'm so glad this week is over and I can stop worrying about registration bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's just so it's so annoying how much work falls on me because we can't spend the time to program our registration systems a little better. Yeah, but. does it have sort of like a half life where it continues over the next few weeks, or does it mostly stop after the first week? Uh, it mostly stops after week one, mostly just because. Um, this is the last day you can get a full tuition refund, I believe. Basically, once that goes away, people are generally more set in the classes that they're taking. Because they, you know, they once if they start moving things around, then it gets kind of complicated with tuition. Uh, I'd I never really know the add or drop deadlines, but I think those come up soon, too. Because with quarters, only 10 weeks, they kind of have to cut that off pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, once you get through this week, it's m- much more smooth sailing. <laughs> So, we had some homework last episode. That's right. Um, to send some emails. Did you send your email? I did. Unfortunately, the SkillCon guy uh, is out of town until very soon, act- very shortly from now, actually. So, I don't have a response yet. All right. So, maybe next episode. Yeah. I got a response from Tillamook. You did. They said their marketing is already planned or something along <laughs> those lines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get bigger then, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, that maybe. <laughs> or maybe just maybe they were actually, they're actually already had everything planned. If I asked them in like a couple of years or something, <laughs> maybe I just got to keep asking them like every few months. <laughs> like, hey, do you have an open spot in your marketing plan? Yet? <laughs> uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe what they meant is that they had already planned to plant uh, the ideas of Tillamook in our minds so that we would basically <laughs> just giving them free advertising. It's possible. Till maybe, you're dirty. maybe they were like, maybe they were saying like, yeah, we we've are, we have plans that include your podcast, but we're not going to tell you that. But like you're, you know, it's implied. You know, like we're gonna you're totally. It's not going to happen. No, I, um, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I think they're they're working with uh, Tillamook Black Magic Mind Control on us right now. <laughs> it's, they're putting chemicals in the cheese. Yes, <laughs> and I'm not going to let them. <laughs> chemicals in the cheese that make any podcaster just not want to stop talking about it now listen here i'm gonna tell you a secret that the deep state doesn't want you to know (laughs) tillamook is putting chemicals in the cheese and it's making the podcasters all do their bidding (laughs) oh this is so insanely stupid and diabolical (laughs) at the same time um (laughs) Oh, God, dirty black magic bastards. Um, <laughs> maybe we should take an episode next time where we don't talk about Tillamook at all. It's, yeah, we can try. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it, though. With, mm. I feel like we're kind of we're stuck now. Yeah. Well, we could, we could, let's just keep wearing our tinfoil hats. What, well, what if next episode we find something to be like really critical about of Tillamook? <laughs> And just make them really regret making us want to talk about them. Yeah, you know, we we maybe we just have to add a new segment about how, where we talk about how terrible Tillamook is every week <laughs> in a new way. Yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> can add that. Can add that as one of our like large section headings in the show notes. <laughs> Tillamook is terrible. <laughs> well, hopefully, dodge cubing will be more successful. Uh. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that was the one that I felt 
had a better chance. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what uh, when he gets back if I get a response from yeah. him. Although, although I have actually, I found out that um, SkillCon is right in the middle of my finals. Oh so no! So I probably won't be able to make it to that, <sighs> even if we do have dodge cubing. But I don't know. Maybe I can make it work somehow if if it happens. Yeah, it's um, it's just, it's such a terrible time that competition. Um, yeah. And my finals are weird, too, because they go from, like, a Wednesday to a Tuesday. Yeah. So it's not like a finals, like, normally defined week. It's like it's like a week-long section from the middle of two weeks. Yeah, that's how Michigan so, actually did it, too. Um, hmm. We used to—it was actually really variable when our last day of class was. Um, yeah. Depending on the term. I think it depended on, like, where Christmas landed, that it w- we ended on, like, a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Then we got a, then we got a day off to study and then finals week ish began. Oh, along with my day of like starting sick and then being not as sick, I didn't feel like doing anything because I felt like if I did anything, it could cause the headache to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my justification for cubing for like five hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I use ZZ. That's a method. Yes, the method, ZZ. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've actually started to like it a lot more than I used to. So, like, when I first started learning ZZ, I learned it because I thought it was better than CFOP. After that, there was a while where I thought it was definitely a lot worse than CFOP, but I was still glad I knew it because it involves doing EO at the start of the solve, and that made me really good at EO for FMC. Mm -hmm. So it was still, like, very worthwhile for me to learn because I like FMC so much. Uh, but I didn't think it was viable as like a speed cubing method, at least compared to CFOP and Rue. But just lately, in the past maybe month or so, I've started to like ZZ a lot more. W- when I started thinking it wasn't as good was when I used ZZVH, basically just with no other tricks. Uh, that's doing, so you do a ZZ F2L, which is like EO, EO line, and then sort of freeform build the F2L, then do a COLL for, instead of just normal OLL, get those corners permuted uh, and then an EPLL to finish and that's pretty good it's okay but ZZ in general is better the more algs you throw at it which is one of its main weaknesses I'd say but it, it is like even it's it's better the more algs you throw at it mm-hmm. but it provides a lot of different ways you can throw algs at it so right it's yeah. kind of like it's you have a lot of freedom with what you do as long as you're okay with learning a lot of algs so um there was a while when I learned ZZCT which was Chris Tran's new thing I mostly did that because I was, like, bored of doing 3 by 3 solves. And I figured it would be a good way to spice it up, and it seemed like it could be better. ZZCT involves orienting all of your pieces, basically doing a domino reduction with your last slot, and then solving the rest of the cube with one out. This was fine. It was an okay method, and I practiced a lot more with it than I had with any other methods, um, or at least recently. And I never quite got back up to the same times, but I got decently fast with it and i got some good singles and stuff with like you know because zzct gives you like a one in 200 chance of getting the last layer skip or something right so it was pretty good and actually olivia bigelow asked about this in our subreddit she asked um she should learn zzct mm-hmm. i'm gonna say no to that for now <laughs> uh chris tran gets decent results with it still i believe he still uses it but in my experience the algs just aren't developed enough to the point where it could be that great and I think that if you want the strictly best sort of progression for learning ZZ, I think it should be you start with just like ZZ with normal like CFOP last layer, you know, just do a OLL, PLL. Right. Then you learn VH like I did and get those COLLs. And that also gives you a 1 in 12 chance of a PLL skip every time. Right. Then I would learn like a really basic form of ZZB. So ZZB is where you do what's called phasing for your last um, pair. Mm-hmm. So as you insert the last two pair, you make it so that your edges, the last layer, are opposite each other. Like the edges that are supposed to be opposite each other are opposite each other. And that limits the number of ZBLL cases. It cuts it down to a third of what it normally is. And you can do like fancy phasing stuff. If you want to learn all the fancy phasing stuff, that's how you actually get fast with ZZB. Um, so that you can phase like basically one look the last slot with phasing. But what I would do is I would just learn, like, you know, pair up the pieces and then b- before you insert them, do the, like, just learn, like, you know, maybe three or four or however many it takes phasing algs just for inserting the last pair rather than learning the whole phasing alg for pairing it up and inserting it. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a little bit slower, but it's an easy way to do phasing. It's actually really easy to phase if you do it that way. Interesting. 
Yeah, so it's a little bit worse, but it like, significantly decreases the number of ZBLLs you need to learn. Uh, and then I would just learn all those ZBLLs. And that's a pretty similar number of ALGs to uh, ZZCT. Hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, I can see phasing actually being relatively simple just from experience with like finishing um, F2L minus ones and FMC to like some number of corners. It's, it's hard to recognize whether you do or don't have parity sometimes. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of stare at it for a little while. But the fact that you can end with like, you know, as long as the opposite colors are still opposite, that that seems like that helps um, recognition quite a bit because you just... You... Yeah, yeah, because with phasing, with, fa uh, with phasing, parity doesn't matter at all. Right, exactly. Just, which just kind of... You got to get those opposites opposite each other. Right, which is a lot easier to recognize. Yeah, so that's that's the way I would get to like a method that uses a similar number of ALGs to ZZCT. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that would actually be faster. I, I'm not sure about the phasing because I don't really know sort of what the limit is of kind of bad phasing like that, but I did a little bit of experimentation with it, and it seemed like you get to be decent with it. I wouldn't learn the full phasing stuff because, in my opinion, ZZB is best as a transition method to learning full ZZA, which is just full ZBLL. So once you've got that third of it down, the other two-thirds will be a lot easier than they would otherwise be because you have like stuff you can compare them to and hypothetically zzb will allow you to use those zbll's often enough that you can get them down really well as you're learning the others so it it limits the amount of algs you need to learn just the amount you can be overwhelmed by it mm -hmm. absolutely so i think that's kind of the ideal path through learning zz if you're going to plan it out from the beginning mm -hmm. it goes easy like just with cfop ll then ZZVH, then ZZB, then ZZA. And that's not what I did, but I think that's probably what would be the best. Well, cool. I'm going to provide absolutely no input on this because <laughs> I don't know much about ZZ at all, but I'll just smile and nod. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to so get back to my original point about why I'm starting to like ZZ a bit more. Yes. Um, when I didn't like it, it I was using like just v ZZVH. And I think I just wasn't as good back then. And my, like, move counts on my solves were worse than, or, like, pretty similar to or worse than most people's CFOP solves. And I had to, like, use a slightly worse um, move set because ZZ restricts you to RUL, which is slightly worse than, like, RUF, uh, with, even with rotations. But recently, after learning ZZCT, that taught me a bunch of, like, winner variation cases and different ways to force OLL skips. I've also picked up a lot of ZBLLs along the way. And recently, like my solves where I don't do any kind of those, like any tricks like that, they're generally like 50 to 55 moves. And my solves where I do have tricks like that are like 40 to 45 moves. It's actually a huge increase, like a huge improvement over something like CFOP, which even if you do know tricks like that, you're not going to be able to use them as often because you don't have that edge orientation. So uh, it's actually a pretty significant increase of like an average of maybe like five to seven moves, I'd say, over a good CFOP solve, or maybe even more. So it's like, even though it's a slower moveset, I feel like if I just get my TPS up to something somewhat comparable to like other fast people, I could actually be fast with this method now because I've got that move countdown lower to like even like I'm getting, I'm approaching like Rue levels with my ZZ. Interesting. So I'm a lot more, yeah, I'm a lot more happy with how my ZZ solves have been going lately. Uh, do you think? So, do you think that your OH potential will be realized sooner than your uh, two-handed potential? I think it would if I practiced it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like, yeah, like back when I was doing even those worst solves, I was averaging like thirteen point five seconds OH at my peak, and that was like two years ago, and I haven't practiced since then. Okay. So I'd imagine if I practiced like and started taking it seriously, I could get down to like probably sub thirteen. Um, All right fairly quickly but i'm not really motivated to practice oh right now it's just not as interesting to me for some reason at the moment so yeah that's sort of my my ted talk on zz yeah. <laughs> awesome well i'm glad that i could give a very valuable input uh, on my experiences with zz <laughs> yes thank you I, I couldn't have done it without you yeah. buddy <laughs> <laughs> all right andrew we're gonna we're gonna take the low-hanging fruit uh, you mean more things from our subreddit? Well, that and also probably <laughs> one of the most, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to say over-discussed topics uh, in, in cubing right now, or in for a all long right. time. Um, Let's discuss it more. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah, we're, we're all about beating the dead horse. Um, <laughs> RK977 uh, asked us if uh, the WSA should add another puzzle or another event, uh, essentially. Uh, we kind of, we talked about... Um, 
you know, team events a bit last week, but a little more of a broad discussion, you know, than just, you know, team events. Also, mm-hmm. that was well more than last week, so uh, I don't know what I was <laughs> yeah. saying. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question to, to talk about is, you know, if there is, a, you know, what other puzzles out there would be interesting to add and should they be added? So, I mean, I'll start by just saying, like, to follow up on our discussion from last week, I definitely think that Team Blind would be a really interesting event to oh, add. Yeah. 100% my first, my, the, the first event I would love to see added is Team Blind before anything else. Yeah. Oh, and actually, kind of as follow-up to last episode, I'm thinking of organizing a competition that has an unofficial Team Blind event, but having that be the only event with, like, a prize pool, like, and making it fairly substantial, like a couple hundred bucks or something. Interesting. Okay. To see if I can motivate people to practice for it and see, like, what it would actually be like if it wasn't just held as, like, a funny, unofficial event like it has been at all the competitions I've been to in the past. Right. And make people actually want to practice it because there's money at stake. Where's the prize pool going to come from? Just registration? Probably just registration fees, yeah. From pe- from Even for people who aren't going to do the Team Blind event? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure how exactly to make it all work out. Um, I just want to—it was just an idea I had. I kind of want to try to just see what would happen if— if there was a reason for people to practice it and try it and see if anyone would actually practice as a team or if they'd all just wing it on the day of. Yeah, sure. Seems like an interesting idea. Um, so I think we're in agreement that that would probably be our number one choice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Most, like, actual speed-solving puzzles to me out there don't do anything really different than current WCA puzzles uh, already do, or they're just way too weird and kooky that making a scrambling notation for them would be a disaster. I'm looking at you, Kirby Copter, and crap like that. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, Helicopter Cube is one of... That's probably, like, the only non-WCA puzzle that I kind of, like, just like to mess with. Mm-hmm. But it would... It doesn't it doesn't feel like it adds that much. Yeah, I also feel like we have too many short puzzles already. I don't know if that would be short, though. I Yeah, I have no clue. Yeah, I, I just have no idea how that would work out. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's new enough, because most of the solve of that is just, like block build until you get to some algs mm-hmm. um, right with a little bit of jumbling but the jumbling's not hard to figure out yeah i mean people make a case that you know maybe there should be a puzzle that jumbles but I'm, square one does kind of true um yeah i, I would call that jumbling because it's it's moves that bandage other moves yeah and shape shift mm-hmm. so I, I would call that a form of jumbling maybe maybe the main first thing is i don't really i see a lot of people that use the word jumbling i'm never really sure if i 100 percent understand what that word means yeah, my interpretation has always been it's just anytime you do a like you have a sort of a normal set of moves mm-hmm. and then you have other moves you can do that cause some of that original set to be bandaged. Okay, so basically it's any puzzle with non-closure. Like you might be able to do ABA but maybe you can't do AAB. Yeah. Where you know on a 3 by 3 you can if if ABA exists you could also do AAB. Right, yeah. You can do any pattern of combination right. of moves. Okay. Or permutation of moves in three by three okay so jumbling is just a a, a, a layman's term for for uh, a puzzle that uh has a state space that's not closed right yeah okay cool yeah i feel like that's not super needed i think that the arguments actually for like a what's it called kilominx is that the two by two megaminx yeah or kibby minx um, if you uh want to sound stupid <laughs> um those i actually sort of understand the argument for like i don't know how much it adds except that within like if you just want to talk about in terms of sort of people being well represented for all around skill right now people who have skill at n by n puzzles tend to have skill at a lot of n by n puzzles and then you've got sort of another class of cubers who are like minxers but they only have one puzzle to do so i could see some benefit in just sort of like broadening that space yeah, um, but at the same time, I feel like a more elegant solution would be to limit the n by n space. But I feel like that's never going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, if I could go back in time, uh, ten years, and prevent six and seven from ever being added, I would. <laughs> yeah, I would do that so hard. Um, yeah. Sorry, Kevin Hayes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just th- that those higher order puzzles. Like I get that there's you know a skill set there that for higher order puzzles that you know, doesn't necessarily translate as well down to, like, you know, four or five. But at the same time, it's really just similar. It's, it's so similar. Like, it, the only thing it really does that those puzzles don't do are just more complicated center building. And that's why Kevin is so good at six and seven, and the skill doesn't necessarily translate down, because his strength in big cubes is center building. 
it's tough because I, I feel the same way. Like you, you mentioned like the Minxer or the, you know, the dodecahedron puzzlers. Um, mm-hmm. Like I know we have one, especially in the Northwest, Ethan Davis, who's, uh, you know, like he practices like Gigamink solves at home. So like, I mean, he would love to see that as an official event, but he's probably one of a few people that can actually stack mat it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. The, the point you make, though, about, like, how there's a lot of underrepresented parts of the WCA, I think also to an extent applies for blindfolded events. I, like, at least me personally, I've, as I've, you know, gotten older and wiser as a cuber, I've, you know, it's not that I hate speed solving events, but I've definitely found a lot more enjoyment uh, in practicing mind-related events. So, so do you think that, like, the, the blind events, are you saying they're underrepresented? I think that they are currently barely adequate but it would be cool to see you know more events um you know for example i don't know i don't know if this should ever be like an official event but it would be really cool to see how like four by four fmc could evolve or um you know maybe doing like i've seen mental breakdown competitions in germany do pyraminx fmc for fun uh which i think could be kind of fun for the purposes of doing really short fewest moves attempts where you can still, you know, it's, you could still do, like, insertions, like, of sledges to do three cycles and stuff. I, I don't know. I think that if you do, like, really fast, like, 15-minute attempts of Pyraminx FMC, that that could be interesting. I, I kind of feel like the, like, the best Pyraminxers would just find a good, like, the best solution you get out of that, I feel like, would just be a good speed solve solution. Eh. Speed solve solutions are pretty near optimal. Let me be a dreamer. Uh, <laughs> no, you're probably right. But I do I, I do think that there is potential for that. And this kind of leads me to what I have envisioned for how I think the WCA should evolve in how it recognizes events. I honestly think that there should be a tiered system of events. We're, t- we're dreaming, you know, about having all of these different kind of events. But I think the biggest problem is that currently, if the WCA has an event officially, it's obligated to hold it at a major championship. I honestly think that we could have so much more fun and growth if we just opened up to like lower tiered events, essentially. Oh, so you're saying like have events that are not a priority at a major championship, but they they're there, right? Like we recognize yeah. that we will. Recognize... And like we can have championships for those on their own. Yes, exactly. Like maybe they have a, a you know a like a a side events championship sort of thing, you know. And I think that could be kind of fun if you have a lot of really cool side events. I don't know. I'm I'm that's kind of my main thing is that I would love to have this sort of uh way to you know, introduce events at a lower tier where they don't necessarily have the attention. It also gives a bit of a sandbox for us to play around with them. The other thing that I thought would be cool is to have some sort of WCA recognized like sort of like official unofficial events. And these could be super loose. Um, I'm envisioning that there could be a committee that reviews, like, people proposing a certain event. It could just be really loose. And if it gets approved by this team, there could be this separate database of all these other weird events people have done in competition. And we just keep a centralized tracking of those rankings. And then you could also, if you have that, then you can kind of... Like, see if one of them catches on. Exactly. Then you have all the rec- the rankings there and the records right. already kept. So it's like, it's like somebody organizes something and then everyone else is like, well, that was a really interesting event. Let's do that. Yeah. And um, yeah. Th- then it, it, like, it already has that official status and already has the potential to bloom into something bigger. Exactly. And this, this system has actually existed before. Um, it's speedcubing.com. Oh, is this how, like, Red KB got his, like, Siamese cube? Yep. Exactly. Officially recognized world record thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there didn't used to be a list of events in the regulations. Mm. Um, it was just, you know, back in the day, it was the Wild West. You just kind of went to the board and were like, here's all the puzzles we'd like to do. And they'd be like, cool, have fun. And maybe if they've never, if they're doing a puzzle they haven't seen before, they're like, okay, we'll have to figure out a way to generate scrambles for this. <laughs> like, because there was no tea noodle back in the day. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just had to come up with. Uh, other way methods of scrambling like random move methods yeah yeah it's amazing how far we've come since then um <laughs> but um, still have a lot of random move but yeah <laughs> yeah so um back in the day basically they had stuff you know like rainbow cube siamese cube um skew was on there as well basically they made a carbon copy of the wca database and hosted it on speed solving or not speed solving speedcubing.com and it basically acted as where they placed all of these unofficial puzzles 
uh, that used to be or that were like recognized in actual WCA competitions. Hmm. Basically, when they decided what the official events were, all of these other results just got migrated over to speedcubing.com. And I don't believe that, th- that it's active now, but you could probably hunt around on the Internet Archive to find these old rankings. That's interesting. I like that idea. Yeah, it'd be cool to bring back in some way where you can kind of just have, you know, a team that manages, you know, what ev- what other events are valid. It could be pretty loose to get, like, a new event added um, so long as you provide, you know, addendum sort of regulations and um, uh, a scrambling method uh, that is valid. Um, and if, like, you come with all of these sorts, if you come with enough materials that other organizers could take your stuff and run that event if they wanted to, then sure, let's do it. Yeah, I really like that because, I mean, I'm a big fan of systems in general <laughs> as whenever you have a problem or something, I always feel like it's better to have a system that will solve it than just, like, trying to just throw things at it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that sort of is, like, a good systematic way to allow innovation within events. Because, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I just keep coming back to the idea of this is, like, someone will do a thing, and if it's good, it'll catch on. If it's bad, it won't. Mm-hmm. And it's that's perfect. That's what you want. You want only the good things to survive. You don't want to have to at some point make a subjective decision about what is worth keeping, what's not. Just have all the records and then like elevate their status purely based on their popularity because right. that'll tell you what's the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if uh, an event, yeah, I, this gets tricky at this point, but like you could consider relegating events as well. But mm-hmm. the criteria for that would be really hard to define because like I don't think you'd ever want to relegate five blind just because nobody does it. Well, I mean, it's I, don't, I feel like the relegation thing wouldn't be that big a deal mm-hmm. because it's like it's maybe you have like all these side events that are still officially tracked. They're still officially recognized. People still compete in them. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that big a deal to get releg- relegated because all that means is it's not no longer in like the top 20 or whatever. It's just it's like it still has the people that care about it and take it seriously. And I feel like as long as it's a serious event, like five blind like no one's gonna give up on that and like it's not gonna stop being a thing that people care about i don't think right i i'm just concerned of the the fact that you know if people put a lot of time into an event like you know not an event not having a major championship status means that the top cubers lose you know the ability to win money for that event you know then if you i'd imagine this would you'd have separate profiles one for all of the main events and one for the lower tier events and Hmm. you know it's just kind of a a slap in the face to kind of have your best stuff like moved off your main profile or whatever that would be. I'm, I'm kind of envisioning this in terms of the speedcubing.com system where they had, you know, WCA profiles on speedcubing.com for just unofficial events. So I don't know, maybe they would integrate it into the one big WCA profile somehow, but yeah, um, I think I would like it to all be in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, it would certainly make like all of our kinch stuff and stuff like that more difficult. But yeah, um, I still think there should be some level of separation though between like the main events and the less main events. <laughs> Just because I think it would, I mean, like your your uh, personal records section would be a little unwieldy if you know you competed in like sixty different events. Yeah. So I guess I guess if it was like um, if you had like a sort of main events and then side events. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like it could still be a good thing if you had the side events championship, but it wouldn't get the same notoriety. It wouldn't get the same prize pool. Like it, it's it's it, like if it, if an event gets demoted from main to side in that sense or higher to lower yeah. tier, like people will be upset. I don't think it's I, I like I I agree it's not as big of a deal because it can still be held in competition, but that sort of demotion would mean it would be held a lot less and not at the biggest of level. Yeah. I feel like if there was a big enough, like, side events championship, then, like, the bigger side events could still be taken, like, pretty seriously and still held a lot. Yeah, I agree. I, I just, I definitely feel like, though, there would be reason to be upset if you were... I agree, yeah. yeah. But anyways, uh, that's that's kind of my long-term dream for, um, you know, adding new events, is that we create this sort of system that allows for experimentation of new events in WCA competition. And yeah, in the, so, you, you know, you can kind of learn, you know, what issues come up if you need additional regulations to deal with this puzzle. You know, it gives you a good, a good little sandbox to play with with new events to, you know, if they ever do become official, then they would be, you know, recognized in that way. There might be, have to be some decisions to be made is if you're we're going to be loose about what can be a lower tier event where pe- pretty much anyone can propose one. The first set of regulations and rules might not look anything like what happens over time. 
So they might have to be a little selective if it ever becomes a main event and how they recognize the records. Yeah, I mean, it might have to be a sort of thing where you even have like three a three-tier system where you have like the super experimental, the side events, and the main events. Yeah, okay. I kind of like that, where you kind of have the super experimental level. If it gets popular, you can get to that mid-tier level. And that's... Yeah. And if it ever makes it to the top level, then uh, only records from the mid-tier level would become recognized. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so that, yeah, basically you can have this experimental phase, but again, it's just experimental. Like, maybe maybe at that lowest tier, there's no official rankings, but you can have them in competitions. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to have results recorded. Well, yeah, I the, res- I feel like... the results, I think, should be recorded, but I don't know if there should be, like, a worldwide ranking of those events. Okay, maybe, yeah. And I, and I feel like with the system, it would be rare enough for an event to break through from, like, middle tier to top tier. Yeah. That when it does happen, there can be, like, a big decision about it and, like, votes and stuff, and it'll feel, like, weighty and important. Maybe people like, people will obviously still be upset if it replaces something mm-hmm. that they want, but I feel like if it's, like, explicitly made to be a big deal for something to get this promotion, then you're not going to have people, like, losing events left and right. Right. I agree. Um, I mean, the other thing, though, you have to consider is, like, when, with the any promotions to the top tier that is, like, our current set of events, do we even have room for anything new? Uh, and by room, I mean, you know, we already have four-day world championships starting now. Yeah, I mean, we would probably have to demote some of our main events now, because there are definitely events that probably shouldn't be in the list of, like, top events. If Well, I mean, we'd have, we'd see. We'd see what would happen once we open up the system to see if there become events that are clearly better mm. or like clearly more, more, more in demand. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I feel like we would definitely get some result events weeded out and that might include stuff like fewest moves and the blinds and the stuff that I like, but I, I wouldn't mind that that much to see a, you know, a better system in place. Yeah, for sure. And you know how you started this crusade against snacks um, <laughs> in episode five? Not a crusade against snacks. It's just a, why do we care so much about snacks? Well, I'll have you know that an official WCA competition approved by the board, like specifically this aspect of it, mm-hmm. includes a snack as part of its registration fee. Okay. Um, one minor correction. The board doesn't approve competitions anymore, but... Whatever. You know, you know the wick-wack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Quack. Um... <laughs> Okay, so yeah, they have a snack as part of their registration, and yeah. FMC Americas in Atlanta, the Atlanta location, has a snack written in as part of its registration fee. It's like you got to pay like ten dollars or something and bring a snack. That's kind of cool. These idea. things are important. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's fun for like a five-person competition at someone's apartment. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> but, but 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 snacks, they're important, and they have official re- recognition as a, a form of currency accepted by the Wukwak. Um. <laughs> well, considering that the, the person running that location is on the Wukwak, <laughs> you know, there might be a conflict of interest here. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can, I can accept this, uh, this snack uh, proposition you're making to me. Well, I'll tell you what we should do. Uh, we should rename the Wickwack to the Wisnack. <laughs> like W S N A C or Q, isn't it? Oh, and O to C. Yeah, <laughs> W S N A C. <laughs> Snack. <laughs> so it's the WC Quality Assurance Committee, right? That's what the yeah W Q A C. So we got W S N A C. So um, we got the W C A. Um, super not bad assurance committee. Super not bad. <laughs> uh, okay. The also, <laughs> also another thing I just realized. Um, so FMC Americas, right? Often abbreviated FMCA. FMCA. Yeah, see, I I always do FMCAM uh, whenever I, I abbreviate it, like FMC <laughs> space AM. So, uh, so you don't have the FMCA's problem. <laughs> your village people jokes don't work on me. <laughs> well, this was a weird subject. Let's yeah. Move on. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, okay. So our subreddit is a thing we talk about a lot. Yeah, subreddits are cool, especially ours. And Reddit in general is a pretty interesting system. It has some pros, some cons, and we're going to talk about those. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't really use Reddit much before this podcast, actually. Hmm. I was aware of it as a thing. <laughs> right. And I knew that it was, like, I knew enough about it to know that it would serve the purpose of being a good place for discussion about a podcast. Mm-hmm. But I never used it much. And I've only lately started using it. And I got to say, I like it a lot more than, like, other social media kind of things. And I kind of use it in a similar way to those. Mm-hmm. I barely, like, have friends that I talk to on social media. Like, it just doesn't really happen. I mostly, most of the people, like, I'm friends with on Facebook, I have muted. Mm-hmm. And I just use Facebook for groups and stuff. So I end up using Facebook and Twitter and Reddit all in the same kind of way. And I found that lately I like Reddit the most. What are your thoughts on that so i think reddit has a lot of good things about it in that um it's self-regulating in many ways with upvoting and downvoting um i will say though that that's also its greatest weakness <laughs> yeah so the, the way the up to, upvote downvote system works basically whatever like when people post something or comment on something mm-hmm. you get the chance to upvote it or downvote it Yep. The thing with the most upvotes gets pushed up to the top so the most people see it. Things with downvotes get pushed down. And every once in a while, I don't know exactly what the timing is, Reddit basically like puts a weight on everything that's been posted. Mm-hmm. So if something's been out there for like a certain amount of time, it's going to weight it down and see if... And that'll hopefully push it down a little bit on the list. And if it rises back up to the top again then it's still something people want to talk about. But if it gets pushed down and then no one ever remembers it or ever sees it again, then it just keeps getting pushed further and further down. So that's sort of a way to make sure that um, things don't get stuck at the top, at least in theory. I don't know if it works so well in practice. Yeah, that's kind of one of the issues with like a general message board compared to like a subreddit, is that uh, you're always seeing fresh content and it kind of always cycles out. Um, but I do think that's a huge issue for like the Cubers subreddit, which has some mm-hmm. of the most repetitive content in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. like the Cubers subreddit like has literally like the same pictures coming up over and over again. I cannot tell you how many times people make shitty loss memes on yeah. Reddit all the time. And it's like, mm-hmm. please stop. <laughs> like <laughs> loss is already a shitty enough meme as it is like i don't even understand why people think it's funny it's so dumb i hate it i think it's pretty funny sometimes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) like what you're i don't know the the whole the whole premise of the lost meme pisses me off a bit in that like someone decided to make a non-edgy like serious comic and people were like wow screw you for having emotions like well i think the problem with it was that it was a not it was like a serious non-edgy comic but it was really bad. It just was not good. It wasn't tasteful. It, it just... Anyway, that's not what we're yeah, talking okay. about. No. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, so you think... Th- so do you think that the re- repetitive thing is the the Reddit system with constantly, like, the refreshing stuff? No, it, well, it, I think it's it the fault dep- of that? It depends on the kind of content or the sub that you're in, I think. Because um, the main subreddits that I follow are... Uh, of course, our subreddit, the Cubers subreddit, and I follow my uh, local uh, Portland subreddit. And I think subreddit or the Reddit, the subreddit for uh, Portland works really well because um, the topic of the subreddit is very compatible with Reddit. And what I mean by that is that you know a local subreddit is going to mostly be about like what's happening in the city, like things that are happening now. It's not so much about um, you know. Um, anything particularly constructive or building upon previous things it's just kind of like here's kind of what's happening in portland here's some local news here's uh you know um some rant about my neighbor like i don't know like so so it's basically using reddit as a way to distribute news yeah it yes news and also just kind of other local things that maybe you don't see on traditional news so Mm -hmm. um i think it works really well for that sort of purpose if you kind of have a topic that is um always changing and evolving and the people kind of stay with it the problem with the cubers subreddit is that basically like the kinds of content you can post to it are very limiting like you can basically post like look i got these cubes in the mail or look at this crazy pattern i made that is potentially lost um (laughs) um or i don't it's like just basically the kinds if you you know look at the cubers subreddit frequently 
you'll see the same stuff over and over with just from a different person. I think that's the biggest flaw with uh, like the cubing subreddit at least is that you just see nothing new, nothing exciting. And the sometimes the best uh, cubing discussions are ones that go on for more than a few days. But Reddit's algorithm doesn't like those kinds of discussions. It shoves them to the mm -hmm. bottom. Even if a good number of people are upvoting, time eventually just pushes things away. Yeah, so Reddit really is good for things that are constantly kind of being refreshed. Yes, uh, for things where you kind of want to talk about the same topic for an extended period of time, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think that speed solving, honestly, is a much better medium for discussing... Um, cubing things than the cubers reddit um it's just the problem is that reddit is so familiar to people and speed solving is growing less and less familiar and yeah i've i've never liked the for like the forum format mm -hmm. just in general i've never really been able to wrap my head around it as something i want to like check back into and or anything like that it doesn't really have much drawing me into it so i totally understand why that's not as much of a thing yeah but in terms of actual productive discussions speed solving is way better than reddit mm -hmm. um in terms like for method developments for um you know talking about a specific event like the fmc thread for having discussions about um you know like interesting statistics it's mm -hmm. better but the problem is all these things i'm mentioning for cubing are also better discussed on facebook groups than on speed solving yep so yeah. It seems to me like kind of how the, the most interesting posts on the Cuber subreddit, at least, are like news sort of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I often see stuff like when, world records and things. Uh, I don't know, like Keon was doing like an AMA that was pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, world records being broken are always posted about pretty quickly. Yep. Every once in a while you'll see something interesting that's like a new piece of technology. Recently there's that person who made like a self-solving cube. Yeah. And that's been going around. Mm -hmm. But I've seen it like posted by like 30 different people, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the thing is that the problem with reddit for cubing at least is that we don't have enough content like that yeah um, we don't have enough regular content that is interesting in the present and then fades over time yeah i mean the last the layer by layer podcast could kind of be like that you know if you wanted to go share it to the cubers subreddit intent <laughs> 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 wink wink um <laughs> but yeah it, it's kind of um I don't know. I, I definitely think it has its pluses, but that's kind of the biggest thing to me is that uh, the, the algorithm works for specific kinds of communities really well, and for things like cubing, I don't think it works very well at all. The yeah. second thing that I really don't like about Reddit, too, is this sort of hive mind deal. Even if someone is right, the downvotes may say otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> There's many experiences I've seen with Reddit where people are like legitimately being like thoughtful and you know saying constructive things and in comments and they just get downvoted like crazy because the populace doesn't believe that yeah and a lot of the times if somebody makes says something that makes sense mm -hmm. no one's gonna fact check it so that just gets upvoted and then because it's upvoted you assume it's correct yeah and you just throw more upvotes at it so yeah that's the other big issue i have with reddit is that uh it, it becomes a little lynch mob mentality sort of hive hive mind deal yeah I've definitely seen that. It's kind of hard to know, like, if you get feedback for something on Reddit, it's hard to know whether or not you can take it seriously. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, with my whole board game making thing, mm -hmm. I've been posting in, like, the tabletop game design subreddit, and it's often hard to tell what people actually think of the things I say. Often the first thing that gets commented will kind of define the way the rest of the conversation goes. Yep. And, like, at least what's visible of it. So, yeah, it is sort of weird in that respect. Right. And I also feel like a lot of times, like, there's sometimes I want to comment something on Reddit, but I don't because I'm like, oh, this is just going to get downvoted. Yeah. You yeah. know? And I I really do think that Reddit is kind of a reflection of kind of the echo chamber of our society these days. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's something I've been noticing a lot more. I actually just found the uh, YouTuber Captain Disillusion. Mm -hmm. He's quickly becoming one of my favorites. He, like, like he's a VFX guy, so he's really good at all the, like, you know, video stuff and he like basically shows that videos are hoaxes and fakes and stuff okay but more recently he's been doing a thing where he like just sort of has like commentary on stuff going on in society like just the way people like evaluate news and stuff and he's like so he's sort of taking the disillusion part of his name 
to like a level beyond just like disillusion with like hoax videos and stuff. Right. Um, and now he's taking it into like a much more real, like real world place. Mm -hmm. And I really like what he's, where he's going with all that. Um, yeah. And I, he's, he's definitely critiqued like Reddit and stuff. Yeah. I think that's definitely a big problem with Reddit is that whatever, whatever gets upvoted is the most visible. And then it sort of is implicitly lended authority because it's upvoted. And then you just assume you should upvote it more. <laughs> yeah, like, I, what would be kind of interesting is if, like, Reddit had a comment section where for the first, like, X hours, it wasn't, or, it, it wasn't ordered by upvote, it was just um, by time that it was posted. So, like, maybe for the first, like, six hours after a post, you just see all of the comments, like, in time order, and people can still upvote them, but they're not public yet. And then after that time hits, then it's all sorted by upvotes. I would also think maybe like a sort of random thing floating different things at the top because if it's all by time then you can still get buried really easily. True, um, yeah. So I would like to see a system where it just sort of randomly floats things to the top for different users and sees what gets interaction and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be really cool too. A little more complicated, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think in general like a time-based sort of thing would help at least a little bit. Like I know like the first or the most recent... Um, there's two ways you could do it. You could do it where the oldest stuff is at the top or the newest stuff is at the top. Um, mm -hmm. And probably newest at the top is a little fairer because you get to, like, everybody gets the chance to be at the top of the page. Yeah. And if you post sooner, it, you know, you get to be on there longer, but you won't also be as visible. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that system, like, would also be low effort and probably almost as effective. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I do agree that um, depending on the frequency of commenting it could get buried pretty quickly in general um love hate reddit <laughs> yeah i think same. It, it has its it has its nice purposes but um i think especially for the cuban community it's not a very productive setup for discussion mm -hmm. well one thing i can say i really like about reddit at least their app is that it doesn't have infinite scrolling Ooh, which is really nice that's nice um yeah, so it's like you scroll through stuff, and often I'll see a bunch of stuff that I'm just not interested in at all. Like, I've seen that before, or it's just not something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. But if I just scroll past it and then, like, refresh the page, it all disappears. So for me, that makes it so that, like, Reddit, I can just open it up for, like, a minute, scroll through. If there's something interesting, read it. And then I close it, and it's gone forever, which is good and bad, but mostly good for me, <laughs> at least the way I'm using it. So today's uh, reg of the day, this is probably one, one that many, some people at least are familiar with. Uh, it's uh, 3D1B, and it's a specific regulation made about colorblind competitors, where colorblind competitors who cannot distinguish between the necessary number of colors may use colored parts with patterns if it has been explicitly approved according to regulation 2S. Patterns may come from stickers or be drawn. Uh, and 2S is essentially a regulation that allows uh, for accommodations based on certain disabilities. Okay. Um, That's interesting. I didn't know that it explicitly had a specific thing for colorblind cubers. Yeah, it kind of came up in 2014, where um, at U.S. Nationals 2014, we had a, a colorblind competitor who was competing in Megaminx um, huh. and just couldn't find a set of 12 colors that he could distinguish between. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like most... Most colorblind people I know, like I know a few colorblind cubers, and they mm -hmm. can usually find a three by three sticker shade set that works for them. Right. Yeah. Like six sides, it's usually passable. You could figure out a way to get a set of six colors you can distinguish between. But 12 colors poses a problem. I mean, yeah. even for people who can see colors and get a standard Megaminx, you have like light green and dark green. Yep. <laughs> it's like yeah, hard enough when you can see color. So, um, Nats 2014, I don't believe this regulation was in effect, but we just had 2S, which just allowed for reasonable accommodations. Uh, and they showed us pictures of their Megaminx they were solving with that had, like, these Sharpie dots on some of the stickers. Where they were basically using a similar color, but put a little Sharpie dot on each of the sticker to make it look different. And it was like, ooh, this is weird. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> not sure how we deal with this. Because it was also, while it was, like, a, a good, a reasonable accommodation to make, at the same time, like, you could consider, like, unless you draw the dots perfectly, like, that you could recognize not only that color, but what the other colors on the pieces are by how you drew that dot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's the regulation about how similar pieces have to be, mm -hmm. I don't remember the exact wording, but they should be indistinguishable, basically. Right, yeah, so it became, like, a weird thing, like, how do we accommodate for this? Uh, with discussing with the regulations committee, we kind of said that, you know, 
it kind of makes sense, at least for definitely for Mega Minx, that you know we should probably allow for this. And considering there aren't really good, like you know, you can't get like a plaid sticker or something for your mm-hmm. Mega Minx. See, we thought it seemed reasonable, you know, assuming that there weren't any um, ridiculous differences between like dots or shapes they put on there, um, that it should be fine. We decided to codify it as a separate regulation because um, we thought it was, like, we had to deliberate about it quite a bit. And I've heard it been used since then for other cases of colorblinded megaminxers. Like, specifically with hand-drawn stuff? Uh, yeah, where they kind of just do, like, the little sharpie dots on some faces to basically distinguish it from a color that looks too similar to them. And again, I don't think it's a huge deal because like if a dot is slightly different, I mean, a sticker could also be chipped in a specific way, which Mm -hmm. is probably more of a tell than a slightly different dot, you know? And when you're turning fast, like who's going to see that? Yeah. So we decide to codify it. Do you remember if the competitor had dots on multiple sides? Because I could imagine that like when you're looking at a Megaminx, the stickers are pretty small, and the, mm-hmm. it seems like the dot would kind of dominate the sticker, and yeah, they hard to recognize which one it was. They did have dots. I believe they also used like slightly different patterns on the other ones too, mm. um, like squares or stars or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those I can imagine be trickier to kind of make look, you know, equal. But um, when when they came to Nats and we looked at their Megaminx, we were like, yeah, this is reasonable. There's they're mm. not like ridiculously different. Yeah, I mean. You could use, like, a stencil kind of thing. Right, yeah. To... Yeah, it's true. You could find, like, a small enough stencil for, that's smaller than a Mega Megaminx sticker and just kind of sharpie it in, I suppose. Yeah. Or I could even imagine, like, making a whole, like, template stencil and putting it over the whole face and, like, spray painting it or something. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really hasn't caused too many issues um, where, you know, competitors have brought, like, ridiculously drawn Mega Megaminxes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, and... Yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, many people are probably familiar with these sort of cases. Um, I believe there's many others that have uh, done this besides this competitor at Nats 2014. Probably a good thing we codified it. Yeah, and in terms of other like accommodations that have been made, there's the really interesting one of the blind competitor who competed in three blind. Did that actually happen, or is people just talked? To... Okay. No, I've, I've seen a video of it, and I, as far as I can tell, it was an official competition. I believe it was where yeah, they, they memorized by feel basically and then had to solve a normal cube yeah so they memorized like a braille cube basically yeah and then were handed a cube with just normal stickers that they couldn't differentiate and they solved that one which i think is a really clever way to do it yeah definitely um the other the other case in which i can think of uh, accommodations being given are when people have uh, broken arms or hands mm-hmm. where the judge will put their hand out and have it on the other sensor yeah that's always interesting so that like they can start and stop the timer with one hand that's another interesting case but i think that's a little more clear cut than drawing on a puzzle yeah definitely yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i can imagine the logistics though of the uh, blindfolded uh situation though being interesting where like you need to make sure you pass off the cube in the correct orientation Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of want to try it (laughs) (laughs) it seems hard I mean, yeah, it would be so hard to recognize where pieces go because you'd like feel a sticker mm-hmm. and then have to feel the one that's on the other piece and have to remember where on your cube that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And learning what what all the Braille things re- re- yeah correspond to which color too. I don't know. Yeah. Like, would you even learn it in terms of colors or would you just remember that like three dots is on the right? <laughs> I, I think I'd have to have some sort of color translation just because um, at least visually, that's how I look for the pieces or like, that's how I immediately associate it with the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, I see the green black piece and I'm like, oh, that's O or V. <laughs> um, yeah. And yes, I do have a green black piece. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think I'd probably have some sort of initially, like, a translation, and eventually, like, the colors would become, you know, no more, and I'd just know the 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 feel by directly to the piece. Mm-hmm. But yeah. probably using a color as a pass-through until it becomes second nature. I feel like I need a nap. Oh, I need, I need food. I am so hungry. I also have so much work to do now that school has started, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually am probably going to, uh, I should probably, I'm going to nap. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> okay. Because I, 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 I have my other podcast that I need to record. Today, oh, boy. <laughs> my board game podcast. Uh, that's like 20 minutes. That was quick. Yeah. Uh, 
So I'm gonna nap and then do that. Sounds <laughs> sounds delicious. Are you gonna put uh how um a layer by layer of blankets on you while you uh take a nap? Why? I don't know. Is, Why do you do this? <laughs> maybe you're cold. Is that a good enough reason? It's hot in here. Okay. Then don't do don't <laughs> do not do not put the blankets on layer by layer. I'm gonna take then. a cold shower and fall asleep in it. <laughs> uh that doesn't sound like a good idea <laughs> i think you might want to reconsider andrew it's a wonderful like, life like you know how those turkeys like isn't there like a myth that like turkeys look up when it's raining and then drown have you uh, heard this no <laughs> it's a thing it's like it's like turkeys sometimes when it starts to rain they'll like get confused and look up at the sky and then drown bye everyone <laughs> That seemed an appropriate time to end it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>